would like to address the Magnificat in relationship to the Eucharist. While I was waiting till Saturday to kind of teach the Eucharistic Rosary, um, in the second joyful mystery, we have Our Lady singing the Magnificat. Magnificat anima mea, my soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. And, uh, you know, that's right after Elizabeth's being filled with the Holy Spirit and John in her womb, leaping in, in the presence of the Ark of the Covenant. Mary's the new Ark of the Covenant. You even look at the, the travel of the Ark of the Covenant. Uh, it was this, pretty much a similar path that we find in Luke's Gospel, Mary going to the hill country of Judea. They found the Ark. They heard of it in Ephrath. They found it in the plains of Yerim. And um, Mary's the new Ark. You see that even in Revelation 12. Heaven opens up, and here's the Ark. You know, the, the, the Israelites always wondered, where was the Ark? Because when the Israelites were taken into exile, it said that... Uh, into the Babylonian captivity that Jeremiah uh, and Baruch, who was his assistant, but Jeremiah uh, hid the ark. And, and after that, you know, they wonder, where's the ark? Well, John in, in Revelation, you know, tells us, here's the ark, the Blessed Virgin Mary. And so while Elizabeth is singing the praises of Mary as mother of God, filled with the Holy Spirit, saying, Who am I that the mother of my God should come to me, the mother of my Lord? So, I mean, that's what someone filled with the Holy Spirit recognizes Mary as, the mother of the Lord, the mother of God. Um, and Elizabeth gives three great blessings. Blessed are you among women. Blessed is the fruit of your womb. And blessed are you who believed that the words of the Lord would be fulfilled to you. That's an important Blessing. It's kind of like the Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are, you know, those, the meek. Blessed are the, those who mourn. Uh, the, we can go through the Beatitudes, but blessed are those who believe that the word of God will be fulfilled to them. You know, here's the word of God. The word becomes flesh and dwells among us. As a matter of fact, you notice that I try to start prayers, one to the Holy Spirit and one to Mary, because wherever there is the Holy Spirit and Mary, there's Jesus, Right? That's what I, I do. But while praises are being given to, to Mary by the Holy Spirit, her spouse, through Elizabeth, Mary is saying, you know, my soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Yes, John is dancing in front of the ark and our Lord Jesus, but my soul is proclaiming Jesus Christ, magnifying the Lord. That's what we're all called to do. That's why we're here. That's what we want to come away from this retreat with, magnifying the Lord in our souls. The Father wants to see Jesus present. Love made visible. The Holy Spirit wants to see Jesus' love made visible. That's 
the joy of the Trinity, to see Jesus. As a matter of fact, the Word loves to see Jesus. If you really understand deeply the Word as the second person of the Trinity, the person of the Word rejoices in Jesus, even though Jesus is the Word made flesh. There's the person of the Word that rejoices in the way that Jesus Christ is fulfilling the will of God. Uh, so the Father delights in Jesus, and the Word delights in Jesus, and the Holy Spirit delights in Jesus. They rejoice. They delight. These words are important, to rejoice and delight. So where does this bring me? What did I want to share with you is that Every time you receive the Most Holy Eucharist, you can sing the Magnificat. Many times when I purify, that's what I'm praying, when I'm purifying the vessels. My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. I have just received the Lord. In the first joyful mystery, Mary just received the Lord. And then she makes haste to the hill country of Judea in the visitation, and she sings the Magnificat in the Holy Spirit. That's got to be within a two-week period, probably even a one-week period, from the time she received the Lord in her womb by the power of the Holy Spirit, right? When we receive the Eucharist, we receive the same Lord Jesus Christ that came into the womb of Mary. You understand? Now, it's in his substance Theologically, I could, you know, I, we have to make a distinction, okay? Um, it's not a corporeal extension of Jesus. It's the substance, uh, substance of Jesus being present. But I, I, this isn't a theological retreat. I mean, I have to be accurate. Uh, theology is important because it keeps us from falling in, into error, but... You receive the same Lord Jesus Christ Mary received in the Annunciation when you receive the Eucharist. So you can say, my soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord, right? My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. It's the same Lord Jesus Christ, okay? It's not in corporeal fashion, but my soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. I've just received the Lord Jesus Christ, body, blood, soul, divinity, really, truly, and substantially present, right? My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. I'm rejoicing. I've just received the Lord. For he has looked with favor on his lowly servant to give me the Eucharist, I could, I could live a thousand years and suffer every moment of those thousand years and I would not be worthy of one Eucharist. Right? The, the Eucharist is pure gift. Mary knew that receiving Jesus was gift by the power of the Holy Spirit. I received the same Lord Jesus Christ in the Eucharist. My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. 
My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he has looked with favor on his lowly servant. Here's the one I like. I mean, I like it all, but from this day, all generations will call me blessed. Right? From this day, all generations will call me blessed. All the patriarchs, all the prophets longed to see Jesus. Remember, Jesus said, blessed are your eyes that see what you see and your ears that hear what they hear. Remember, he said that. Well, how much more would they long to receive Jesus in Holy Communion? All generations call us blessed. The patriarchs, the prophets, the angels, as I said. We are so blessed. I hope we realize that. To receive one Eucharist, the Magnificat. But it was supposed to have the effect of us magnifying the Lord, right? What does it mean to magnify, you know, like a magnifying glass, right? I mean, receiving the Lord, it's supposed to help me magnify the Lord. I'm not magnifying myself. John the Baptist said, Jesus, this is a great spiritual truth. Jesus must increase. I must what? Decrease. I must actually become nothing, invisible. I must magnify the Lord. My soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. And we actually, I'll go into this tomorrow, but, you know, we receive the soul of Christ. Sometimes when I'm also giving thanks for the Eucharist, I'll pray the anima Christi. Soul of Christ, sanctify me. Body of Christ, save me. Right? But soul of Christ, I receive his soul. We'll go into that tomorrow. But my soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. I've just received my Savior. He's come into me to save every part of me and redeem every part of me. I received what Thomas Aquinas calls the medicine of immortality. Wow. You want the medicine of immortality? You know? I want that. That's what you receive in the Eucharist. Worthily, right? <laughs> For God has looked with favor on his lowly servant. There's nothing I can do to be worthy of one Eucharist. All the works I could do. All the works put together and all the suffering put together don't, couldn't even, there's no way I can say to God, God, you must give me yourself in Holy Communion. Just like I can't say at the end of my life, Mary couldn't even say, no human can say to God, you must let me be in heaven. We can't say that. You must, to God, can we say to God, you must do anything? (laughs) But he has looked with favor on his lowly servant. From this day, all generations will call me blessed. Honestly, from this day, I've received the Eucharist. I mean, Angels, I'm sure, are just like, 
That's why it's always beautiful to come to receive communion with your guardian angel. They love being there with you at Mass and joining you, you know, and they love to see how good God is giving you the Eucharist. And thank God they don't have envy or jealousy, but they're pro- they are going to. <laughs> so, uh, all generations call me blessed. The Almighty has done great things for me. Yes, he has. And holy is his name. It's from his holiness, right? His holiness that he's giving me. We call it holy communion, not just communion. That's why I've been trying to refer to the Eucharist as the most holy Eucharist. Just like during the holy season of Lent, I call it the holy season of Lent. I don't say, it's Lent. So many of you know, that's the wrong perspective. It's Lent. It's the holy season of Lent. It's the most holy Eucharist. It's the holy rosary. It's holy communion. Right? He has mercy on those who fear him in every generation. What greater act of mercy can there be than for him to give us himself? Totally. Talk about mercy. The sacrament of mercy. It changes. The the Eucharist changes us. Jesus takes us into himself. This is the one food that we consume where we get consumed. All other food you eat becomes a part of you. But we become a part of Jesus when we receive him. Wow. He has shown the strength of his arm. He has scattered the proud in their conceit. There's a lesson about strength. There's the strength of his arm. So little, so humble, so vulnerable. Who's the smallest one here right now in this room? Right now, I mean, look around. I, this was from, a, I don't know if you've ever seen that little book, He and I. It's really beautiful, very intimate. And Jesus was telling the, the what was her name, Boucher, Gabrielle. Yeah, he said to her one time at a Eucharistic procession, he goes, look, look. There were all these cardinals and bishops all around. He goes, look, look, who's the smallest one there? Look, who's the smallest one here? The Lord of Lords and King of Kings. He's teaching us so much. He teaches us so much in the Eucharist. Just looking, looking at him, he teaches you so much. Look at his patience. I'll go into that tomorrow about love is patient, love is kind. But look, I mean, what patience, what humility, how small, how vulnerable. But yet he has shown the strength of his arm. He scattered the proud in their conceit. The proud can't understand this. Although it is very interesting. If you ever seen those little question and answer books by Tan Publications, uh, you know, on, like on the Eucharist. And one of the things about the Eucharist points out is, you know, all the smartest people in the history of mankind have believed in the Most Holy Eucharist. Just because the Eucharist is, goes beyond nature d- d- 
is not a reason not to believe. In fact, it's a greater reason to believe that it's supernatural. The greatest minds in, in the history of the world have believed in the Eucharist, right? It's a supernatural gift, you know? Just because God is not subject to the law of gravity and he can walk on water doesn't mean that I don't believe and you got to prove it to me. <laughs> that, that, that's more evidence that he's God, that he can walk on water, and that's easy for him, right? You know, things that go beyond nature. But for me, i got to live according to the law of gravity. I don't, I'm not going to jump off the building. Um, you know, the law of gravity applies to me. But there he is. That's God. God with us. Emmanuel. He promised to be with us. He has shown the strength of his army, scattered the proud in their conceit. The proud just can't understand that. The proud can't understand how can you be so great and become so little, for example. He has cast down the mighty from the thrones and has lifted up the lowly. St. Louis Marie de Montfort, very interestingly, points out that when we say that, that, that verse of the Magnificat, all of hell trembles because they're reminded how, the, how Lucifer and the fallen angels were all kicked out of their thrones from heaven <laughs> and God picks up the lowly. Louis Marie de Montfort makes that point, right? You know, the, for the Franciscans that are here, they all love the story of, you know, and Francis, little Francis the Poverello, was given that seat of the great, so-called great angel, Lucifer. But, you know, we'll find that out in, in heaven. But um, the point is, I mean, it's, 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 it's great. I mean, you know, I, I, it's believable. I mean, it's reasonable. But... The, you know, they've been cast off their thrones, and he's lifted up the lowly. And then he has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. Now, there's, there's, there's another one in the Magnificat that's so Eucharistic. It's all Eucharistic, but he fills the hungry. When you're, are you hungry to receive the Lord? Yes. You're here at a Eucharistic adoration retreat, right? That shows hunger. You know, some of the words in Scripture that are so key to real prayer are hunger, thirst, yearning, longing, right? Desire. That's it. Do you really hunger? Do you really thirst? Do you really long and desire and yearn for God? But he fills the hungry with good things, but the rich... He sends away empty. The people who just say, I'm just so rich, I, you know, I'm full, I'm satisfied. You know, so many churches uh, where we're celebrating the Holy Sacrifice, the Mass. Uh, I've been all around this country. I've been all in many other countries in this world. And, you know, the, the, there might be a, a, a big, busy street right in front of the church. And we're celebrating the Holy Sacrifice of the Mass. And how many people are just driving by when the Lord's offering himself to us? Body, blood, soul, divinity, really, truly, and substantially present. If you're hungry, you receive him. 
But if you're, if you're full, you just keep on driving down the road, right? In the Philippines, they always have a good sense of humor, and so they'll say, I'm full. I'm full. I'm full. Are you full? They'll say, are you full? And they're joking, right? But if you're full, you're sent away empty, you know? Do you desire the Lord? Are you willing to pay the price? What if, what if you were in a country where you had to walk three miles barefoot, th- I mean, three hours barefoot, like Juan Diego, to get to Mass to receive the Lord in the Eucharist? Would it be worth it? Of course. Would you do it? Mm, I'm an American. I don't know. <laughs> right? But a lot of people in a lot of countries, you know, I mean, we're so blessed to be able to have the Eucharist available to us. We, we pray for more priests. Amen. But, you know, in the United States, thank God, you can still receive the Eucharist. Uh, you know, it's uh, the Lord makes himself available pretty readily. But the rich he sends away empty. Please never become that rich. He has come to the help of his servant Israel. I learned, you know, that helps me pray the Psalms, the word Israel. I, I, I went to the Holy Land and I asked our, our uh, tour guide, who was uh, an Israelite born in Babylon, Amnon, what the meaning of Israel is. Because yeah, I've done research and found a lot of different definitions of Israel, but they were just never quite, didn't just really fit. And he said, Israel means straight with God, straight with God, to be straight with God. That's what it means, to be straight with God. You'll find some other definitions if you go to Strong's Concordance, but that's the best definition I've heard, straight with God. You know, Jacob wrestled with him, and then he changed his name to Israel. That's why some people will say that Israel means striven with God. He, 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 he strove with God. Okay, I get it, but straight with God. I was even told that little children in Israel, there's a saying, their mothers will say to them, like when they're not behaving right, like something, I I don't know the whole Hebrew saying, but in it is like, Israel, be straight with God. And it makes a lot of sense. If you really put into the scriptures when you're praying them, be straight with God, you know, he has come to the help of his servant Israel. He's come to the help of those who are straight with him. Be straight with God, right? Now, it's not all based on our efforts. Again, there's nothing we can do to, to merit one Eucharist. It's all a gift. But yet the Lord is generous. He can't be outdone in generosity. We give ourselves to him, and, and he gives himself. He's a cheerful giver, and he gives himself cheerfully and in abundance, superabundance. He has come to help of his servant Israel, for he has remembered his promise of mercy, the promise he made to our fathers, to Abraham and his children forever. Those promises he made to Abraham and all, Abraham, Isaac, Israel, fulfilled in the Eucharist. Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament. And you get to receive the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. What is the fulfillment? 
What does Moses and Elijah represent? Grace and truth. John in his prologue says Jesus has brought grace and truth. The grace to live the commandments and the truth of who Jesus is proclaimed by the prophets. Jesus is the fulfillment, and you receive that fulfillment. I'm going to talk to you about who, who you receive tomorrow, more about who you receive, but you receive this fullness. You're receiving such a plentitude. I even would like to share with you the third canticle that we had tonight, an evening prayer. It's so dear to me. And this will also help you in prayer, which I may give you a brief approach to prayer. I'll get to that in a minute. But In evening prayer, the third canticle is a, is a hymn that was in the, in, the, in, the, in the New Testament, in the scriptures, generally, where in the morning prayer, the middle canticle is from the Old Testament. There's a psalm, and then the middle, middle canticle from the Old Testament, then a psalm. In the evening prayer, there's two psalms, and, or it might be one long psalm broken in half. But then the third is a canticle, a song that the early church sang. Mighty and wonderful are your works, Lord God Almighty. Righteous and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who would dare refuse you honor or the glory do your name, O Lord? All nations will come and worship in your presence. Right? For you're the Holy One. But I, I reflected, why are we given that canticle on Friday evening, the evening of the crucifixion? Right now, Jesus is in the tomb. Okay, well, actually, we know he went down to the place of the dead and gave them the opportunity to accept him, where Adam and all the righteous were kept having the opportunity to accept Jesus. But he's laid in the tomb with his body. His body and soul are separated right now. That's what death is, the separation of body and soul. So that's, as a matter of fact, at Mass, when we have the fracture and we place the, the particle in the, in the precious blood of Jesus, that's the re, reunification of the body and soul. That's what that symbolizes. That's beautiful in the Mass. There's so much symbolism in the Mass. I'll get to one more before I go into prayer a little bit. But Mighty and wonderful are your works, Lord God Almighty. Why on Friday night are we saying mighty and wonderful are your works? I mean, I reflect, this is how I pray. I mean, I, I start to reflect. Why, you know, I would think, you know, on Sunday, you know, the resurrection, mighty and wonderful are your works. You know, as we're always humans. I mean, I, as, a, as a human, I'm thinking mighty and wonderful, you know, yes, the victory. But no, mighty and wonderful is the passion of Jesus Christ that we receive in the Eucharist. What a wonderful work. And then I apply it to my own life. Every time God gives me a chance to suffer and die to myself, mighty and wonderful are your works, Lord God Almighty. Do I say that, though, when it's happening? Mm. But it's the truth when I really look on it. 
and reflect on it. Mighty and wonderful are your works. Anytime I can die to myself, deny myself, pick up my cross and follow Christ. Mighty and wonderful are your works, Lord God Almighty. Righteous and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Do I believe righteous and true are his ways? His ways. When it's a mystery and, I mean, and it's, it's time where you're shedding tears on your pillow. Ashes have become my bread and tears have become my drink, as scripture says. <laughs> yes. Righteous and true are your ways. We won't see till later. But we see in Jesus, you know, everything Jesus asks us to do, he's done first. And all this is contained in the Eucharist. This is a Eucharistic adoration retreat. We're adoring the mighty and wonderful works of God. There is a mighty and wonderful work that he remains with us in the Eucharist, right? Righteous and true are your ways, O king of the nations. There's our king, righteous and true. Who would dare refuse you honor? Or the glory do your name, O Lord. Who would dare? People do it. He doesn't send down lightning bolts from heaven. He just keeps on loving. Because righteous and true are his ways. Since you alone are holy, all nations shall come and worship in your presence. We have that faith. That's going to happen. All nations will come and worship in his presence. In fact, they're already doing it. Not everybody in the world is, but, you know, in every nation in the world, they're worshiping the Eucharistic Lord. Your mighty deeds are clearly seen, but they're seen with the eyes of faith. But you understand how you have to look at things? Like, ask yourself, for example, why is, if you're praying the, the, the liturgy of the hours or the hinge hours, the, you know, Laws and Vespers, morning prayer, evening prayer at least, or just every so often praying them, you know, ask yourself, why, why, you know, ask these questions, why? As I shared with you, you know, I, I keep searching, you know, what does it mean to glorify my father and honor my mother? Thomas Aquinas, St. Thomas Aquinas, she, from when he was four years old, he had one question. What is God? He just had that question. And he searched for that answer his whole life. And at the end of his life, Jesus appeared to him. And he said, you wrote well of me, Thomas. And, and Thomas quit writing. And, and there were times when he was writing 20 books a year. He, he could dictate five at the same time to different secretaries and know where he was. I mean, what an intellect. What a gift, right? He quit writing. He said, I considered all this straw compared to the vision of Jesus Christ. But Jesus said, Thomas, you wrote well of me. What, would you, what do you want? And I hope this is the answer all of you give. This might be the whole reason you're at the retreat, to give this answer. What's the answer? If, you're, if Jesus appeared to you right now, and he is right here right now, but he asked you, what do you want? What would your answer be? Well, I want you. I want you. Deus meus et omnia, my God and my all. I want you. I want heaven because that is heaven. Heaven is a person. Heaven is the trinity. Heaven's not a place. 
Heaven is communion with God by grace. I want you. And right, I'm glad you picked up on the one thing to pray for is eternal life. Okay, that's the same thing. I want you. But in the personal friendship, intimacy, love relationship, you know, I, I, I could say, yeah, the answer is I want eternal life. I want you. But more directly, I say, I mean, I, I want heaven. I want eternal life. But if in a personal loving relationship, I want you. I want you. That's what I want. I'm in love. I want you. So, you know, the Psalms are so, so beautiful. My, our founder taught me to when you're praying the Psalms, you know how we had the choirs today? You know, choir A, choir B, or whatever you want to call it. It's amazing how with most of the Psalms, if you approach it this way, one stanza or one verse, the one choir is like Jesus praying, and the other one is the Holy Spirit responding, and then Jesus praying and the Holy Spirit responding. And it always works out that way. Or then sometimes I'll do it Jesus praying and Mary responding. Because I imagine the Holy Family the way they, I mean, they, you know, Jesus learned to pray the Psalms. I mean, he knew the Psalms. He's the Word. But he prayed with the Holy Family. And, you know, there's Mary and there's Joseph. There's an interesting story of, a, you know, this is private revelation, but, you know, about Joseph when he was a young boy. So virtuous, so holy and you know, he, as a good young Jewish boy, he'd hear about, you know, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And, you know, have you ever seen these little holy children, young boys, young women? There's plenty around, but we, we want more. But they would say, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of, God of Jacob. And he'd say, and the God of Joseph, like a little boy. And the God of Joseph. And we should say, yes, and the God of... Put your name in there. Sometimes on saints' feast days, I'll pray like, let's say, Simon and Jude. Simon's one choir, Jude's the other choir. I see them going down the road to their apostolate together, you know, and praying the Psalms. It's a beautiful way to pray. You know, when I pray the, the Benedictus in the morning prayer or the Magnificat in the evening prayer, we t- I'll stay with the Magnificat. You know, the Magnificat remains constant. The words are constant, but for me, the meaning changes depending on the liturgy. Liturgy is life. And so if it's Lent, I mean, I'm out in the middle of the desert. God called me to the desert, like he said in Hosea, to speak to my heart, words of love. And I'm in the middle of the desert, and I say, my soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Same words as in the resurrection when I say, my soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. Okay, it's the same words, but the spirit in which I'm praying also varies. Or, you know, for me, the invitatory psalm, you know, come, let us sing to the Lord and shout with joy to the rock who saves us. Let us approach him with praise and thanksgiving and sing joyful songs to the Lord. I mean, during the holy season of Lent, I'm in the desert saying that. And that's a good way to begin the day. It's a great way to begin the day every day. My, come, let us sing to the Lord. A brand new day. Come, let us sing to the Lord and shout with joy to the rock who saves us. 
Let us approach him with praise and thanksgiving and sing joyful songs to the Lord. In the end, it's, uh, you know, it, it, it is about Eucharistic adoration. I, I love the Gloria, those five things in the Gloria. I praise you, I bless you, I adore you, I glorify you, I give you thanks for your great glory. That's what we're made for, to be the praise of God's glory. That's our life. And I hope you all learn to have true adoration and true praise because that's what heaven's going to be about. And I hope you're not enrolled in remedial adoration and remedial praise 101 when you get to heaven. We may as well start learning now. To praise you, bless you, adore you, glorify you, give you thanks for your great glory. When it comes to Trinity Sunday, I belong to a community that is, you know, called the Society of Our Lady of the Most Holy Trinity. We have Our Lady and the Trinity. Everything is about how Our Lady relates to the Father, to Jesus, to the Holy Spirit, or to Father, the Word, and the Holy Spirit. But on Trinity Sunday, every single Trinity Sunday, I go, I don't know what I can say. I go deep into it. I'm in my prayer. I'm... We're doing an all-night vigil the night before. That's what we do in our community. Or at least a part, you know, we have a, everybody taking hours and we're doing extra prayers and we're getting ready for, you know, this great celebration. And I'm entering into the mystery and then, honestly, God just brings me the humility of, you know, the mystery of the Trinity. I, I just say, I, I, I know that it's a good place when I arrive at I have nothing to say. You know, the word for mystery in Greek is muo, M-U-O. Well, it's, it's written in Greek, but muo. You know what the word muo means? To shut the mouth. <laughs> when, you, when you stand before the mystery, what can you say? I mean, just... If you really understand the mystery... So, I mean, on the, on, the, on the feast day of Most Holy Trinity, the Gloria is one of the best realities to enter into, those five aspects. But the full Gloria, the Te Deum, that we say. Or the Magnificat. All these hymns of praise are what it all comes down to. You are God, we praise you. You are the Lord, we acclaim you. You are the eternal Father. All creation worships you. To you, all the angels, all the powers of heaven, cherubim and seraphim, singing endless praise. Holy, holy, holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. The glorious company of apostles praise you. The noble fellowship of prophets praise you. The white army of martyrs praise you. Throughout the world, the holy church acclaims you. Father of majesty unbounded. Your true and only Son, worthy of all worship, and the Holy Spirit, advocate and God, guide. You, Christ, are the King of glory, the eternal Son of the Father. When you became man to set us free, you did not spurn the virgin's womb. And it goes on. I mean, wow. In the end, that's, it all comes down to those praises. The Eucharistic praises. Tonight we'll be doing the praises. Blessed be God. Blessed be his holy name. You know, blessed be Jesus Christ, true God and true man, right? Tonight we're going to have a healing service. I hope you come and believe 
that God is going to give you a level of healing. We're actually, it's very interesting. I, I, in Providence, we're going to have two healing services, back-to-back evenings. We don't normally do that. But I, I was thinking about that, why, why it got arranged that way. And I came to this insight, not that I understand it all fully, but I think tonight is more for your own personal healing or, or someone dear to you, and tomorrow is for the healing of the church and the world. So tomorrow, you know, once we get the healing we need, we can then come before the Lord and let's work on the church getting healed and the victims getting healed and the, the government getting healed and the world getting healed. I mean, you know, so I think we do need two healing services and the, <laughs> there's the Lord. So, you know, tonight expect your, you know, your personal healing and it's going to be, you know, there's five levels, you know, there's the physical, but there's the emotional, the psychological, the mental and the spiritual, right? So, you know, what, what healing would you rather have? I mean, would you rather get rid of the, the toothache or would you rather get rid of the pride? I don't know. You know, it's up to you. I, I, just asking a question, you know. That's a, it's just, just, just pondering out loud. Just pondering out loud. But uh, a healing service, you know. Um, we'll talk about God's healing this evening, but you know you're being healed. You're in His presence right now. He's the Savior. the The word Savior uh, comes from Latin "salus," which means healing. But the bearer of the healing. But the ultimate healing we need is the relationship with the Father. And that comes, you know, in, in that Holy Spirit. We cannot say Jesus Lord without the Holy Spirit. We can't call God Father without the Holy Spirit. So prayer is about friendship with God. I teach what I call the, now it's the eight R's of prayer. It was seven R's. People keep giving me these great R's once I've been teaching this. I started with four R's. But, you know, just simple, just I'll just put it out there. This is not the purpose of this retreat. So I'm, there's another R, retreat, but um, I'll just put it out there. The first R is recollect. Place yourself in the presence of God. That's how you begin your prayer. And as I said, put yourself in relationship to God, not God in relationship to you. And recollect, the word means to recollect yourself. Collect yourself. So when your imagination starts going over here and your memories start going here, collect it, collect it, collect it. But the silence in your life that we talked about yesterday is going to help with that, practicing that interior silence. But be, first be recollected. That's what I do first in the morning. I place myself in the presence of God. And I just experience that presence. Because he's got the presence within you if you're in a state of grace. There's the Eucharistic presence. And sometimes I'll just turn my chair towards, like in the room where I am, I, 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 I figured where the, where, the, where the tabernacle is. The walls can't stop, you know, me and the Eucharistic Lord. I mean, the wall, you know, God can go through the walls. The walls aren't anything. When he's in that tabernacle, it's not like that, that 
that metal's blocking me from the Lord. Obviously, it's always nicer to have exposition. But first R is recollection, recollect. Second R is read, read prayerfully. So I use divine intimacy, but you could use the scriptures or divine, into, I mean, or um, in conversation with God or imitation of Christ or whatever. But you start to have a meditative reading. Uh, I remember when I was studying in Rome, we had this priest that would come drive, this Dominican drive all the way from Naples to teach us liturgy. And when he was done, he'd be teaching, and after every, whenever he'd finish a page, I just loved it when he finished it, the page he was teaching, to watch him. He would go like this, he would go. <laughs> it was a prayer, it was an act of love. Every, I mean, I was like, wow. I wish I could do everything like that, just for the glory of God. When you're reading sacred scripture, please read. I mean, you know, this is different than any other. It's not like a book, you know, that we're racing through. This is, you know, even opening, opening the scripture a certain way helps, honestly. Opening it. And then turning the pages like that priest. And you're hearing God speak to you. I mean, it's so amazing we have the word of God. That God speaks to us. So the second R is read. Read prayerfully. The third R is reflect. Reflect. What does this mean? How am I going to live it? What is God saying to me? Things like that. Reflective questions. But the fourth R is very, very important. Relate. Relate it to Jesus. Jesus is the word. So then you relate. Relate. You know, it's really, in a way, kind of Lexio Divina. You know, I could sit here and talk about, you know, Lexio, Meditatio, Oratio, Contemplatio, and talk in Latin, and everybody, wow, you know, that was kind of interesting. I don't know what a, th- a thing he said, what it meant, but sounds like it's important. Someday I'll learn it. Lexio is to read, meditate is to, to meditate. It's like eating food. For, you choose the food you're going to eat. That's the reading. And then you start to chew it. That's the meditation. What does this mean? Then you swallow it. That's the oratio. That's the prayer. That's where you're relating it to Jesus. And then the contemplatio is like the digestion. You see, you're, you're less and less involved where God takes over. At first, you're very involved. But we don't control the prayer. Prayer is a gift. So you relate it to Jesus, and then the fifth R is rest. Just rest in him. When you, when you hit a point of something that strikes you, like what struck me is about the Eucharist, if you wish to penetrate the depths of the mystery of the Eucharist, your gaze must be illumined by love. That statement 
wow, that's why I got it highlighted. Your gaze must be illumined by love. If I want to understand this mystery, my gaze must be illumined by love. I can't understand this mystery unless I'm looking at him with love. I'll go more into this tomorrow, but rest. Then the six R is very important. Resolve, make a resolution. That changed my life. That came, like I said, from St. Francis de Sales, essentially. He said, make a resolution from your prayer and then practice living it all day. So that usually for me comes when I'm giving the thanks and the praise. My prayer moves into thanks and praise when I'm resting in him. Basically, what I'm saying is, I want to be like you. I want to be like you. I love you so much. All the knowledge that I have about you See, what you need to come to is a loving knowledge or knowing love. You can look at it either way. But all the knowledge of God should lead you to love him more. The more you know about him, the more you should love him, right? We're created to know, love, and serve God and be happy with him forever. There's an order. But the more I know about him, the more I love him. He's pure love. Pure love. He's so lovable. For example, I remember reading a reflection on, I think it was St. Francis de Sales as well. I don't, he, he, he started going off into this like, meditation to the, I could just, I can, could relate. You know, he's going, I don't know what's more wonderful, your beauty or your goodness. And he went on to this effect. He said, your beauty is, is so wonderful that, and it's so good of you to reveal to me that beauty. I mean, what a great gift for God to reveal his beauty to us. What a good God to reveal his beauty. It's good for us to be able to experience his beauty. But isn't his goodness so beautiful? I, I, Francis de Sales, I don't know which one's greater. It's, his goodness is so beautiful. I don't, I don't know if the goodness is greater or the beauty is greater. The thing we know about God, everything's perfect, so it's all one. But Francis de Sales was just, you know, that's where prayer takes you. And you start to praise God and bless God and adore God and glorify him and thank him. And, and you say, I want, to be, I want to be beautiful like you. You understand? Your prayer leads you to that place where you're in the Holy Spirit and you start to just, you're praising God and you start to say, I want to be beautiful. I mean, I don't know if that's what the Holy Spirit would give you, but let's say that's what the Holy Spirit gave you. I can only, I, I, can't, I can't really give it to you right now because I have to be there myself in prayer to know what the Holy Spirit's given me. It's just like when I'm in the confessional. The Holy Spirit gives me some things that, I, I mean, I know what I know because I know what I know. Not at all times, but there's some things that the Holy Spirit gives me that I know for sure are not like, they're not for me. And I actually feel like writing them down, they're so good, but the penitent would be afraid that I'm writing down their sins, so I, so I don't write them down. But I mean, I'm actually like, wow, that's, a, that's an insight that I never would have had ever. I mean, you know, really, I mean, you're, you're sitting there going, I mean, you know, you, I mean, you're a conduit of mercy and you're just wanting to give mercy and the Holy Spirit gives you something and you know it's not from you. I mean, some of these things, I go, wow, that's amazing. I want to write that down so I don't forget it. Well, sometimes when you enter in prayer like that too, I mean, some people call it ecstasy or whatever, but I'm not talking about, you know, those kind of experiences. I'm just talking about you enter this praise and this thanksgiving and you're basically saying, I want to be like you. The more I know about you, the more I want to be like you. 
I want to be as patient as you are right now in the Eucharist, Lord. Look at how patient he is. I want to be that patient. And so my resolution might be just the word patience. But guess what's going to happen that day? Okay, that's a good example. Okay, right? There's the example. So you had your morning prayer, and that's why I love to do it in the morning, because it's hard to silence yourself later in the day. Your meditation early in the morning, you pay the price, you get up 15 minutes earlier. It's good to discipline the body. You got this, you take care of nature, and you go to your meditation. I don't count it as my holy hour, it's my meditation. And I enter this prayer, these seven R's. And I, get in, I recollect and I start to read and I start to reflect <coughs> and I relate and I rest and then I start to praise and I get a resolution. I, 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 the resolution flows from my praise and it might be patience. I'm just, I'm just adoring his patience in the Eucharist. So my resolution for that day is patience. I usually try to make it one word, two words, or three words so I can remember it. So there, my word for the day would be patience. It wasn't, by the way. But, but if it were, I know what's happening that day, too. But that's how you put it into practice. Because by making the resolution and living it, that's how you become more like Jesus. If it's just in prayer and just go, yes, I'm going to be patient forever. I, I'm praising you for your patience, and I understand your patience. And yes, we're going to be patient forever, Jesus. I'm just right here in the chapel, and I'm just, you know, oh, finally I'm patient. Really? Now I have my resolution, you, and Francis de Sales goes, put it into practice, and throughout the day, now you put it into practice, and you try to remember. And, and the last R is responsibility or responsible stewardship. When I examine my conscience, part of my examination is, how did I live my resolution? Because I need to be accountable for that. And I don't get down on myself. There are some days where I, I, I forgot, you know, after 10 o'clock in the morning, I forgot the resolution. There's other days where I'm plugged in, like at noon, I, sometimes though I get back to it. I go, what was my resolution again? And I get back to it. But at the end of the day, examining my my consciousness, how was I conscious and accountable for my resolution? And then I just say, thank you, Lord. I grew to be more like you. Even if I was only attentive 30% of the time, I'm 30% more like Jesus than I was that morning, that day. 365 days a year, you're going to be 365 more ways like Jesus. That's how it works. Take that out 10 years. Understand? Are you with me? But, again, I don't want to just leave it at a technique because we were taught in Rome by a very, very holy priest that if you try to find God by techniques, you will find techniques and lose God. There's more books written on how to pray than, 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 than you could ever read, and you'll never pray if you're busy reading all those books on how to pray. It reminds me, really, I mean, it's good to read some books on how to pray. Don't get me wrong. Struggles in prayer and to understand those things. But there's so many books. They could, they'd fill up this whole building. It's like the person who came to me and said, Father, Father, 
Can you recommend a good book on the Bible? I said, you know, I, I, I've learned to be somewhat gentler. I said, how about the Bible? Is there a better book on the Bible? You know, one of my Thai seminarians from Thailand was asking me, you know, how do, I, how do you preach, Father? You know, he wanted to preach. He didn't speak Filipino that well. He didn't speak English that well. But, you know, he spoke Thai, but... You know, he might not end up back in Thailand. He said, how do you preach, Father? I said, you know what? Just say the basic message. And if it gets down to it, honestly, I mean, you know, homilies, uh, they they should be developed. And there's a whole way to present homilies. But uh, let's be honest. I I, I told him, I said, if it gets down to it, just reread the gospel. Can you get better than the word of God? Really? I mean, I'm not saying every homily I should just reread the gospel. But you know what? If you don't know how to speak the language, I'm sent to, uh, I don't know, um, the South Pole. And I don't speak uh, penguin. <laughs> you know, while I'm still learning penguin, I just need to reread the gospel. There's a power in that word. And I trust that there's a power going out. There's a power in the presence of Jesus. And there's a power in doing your meditation and letting him transform your life when you make a resolution and then you stay accountable for it. So, those are some of the things I wanted to share with you. We will have the healing service this evening. Dinner is in a... I don't even know what time it is. You got six minutes, so that's all right. (laughs) Um, we can pray the Angelus. And this can actually be the conclusion of to reinforce the prayer the way, the way I've been sharing with you. I, I, I actually have given this teaching. The Holy Spirit showed me, you know, like, like Mother Teresa's quote, the fruit of silence is prayer. The fruit of prayer is faith. The fruit of faith is Love, the fruit of love is service, the fruit of service is peace. So I'll just go quickly through something, then we'll pray it together, though. My soul, the angel of the Lord declared unto Mary, and she conceived by the Holy Spirit. That is silence. She was in silence when the angel appeared to her. So she could hear God's plan, right? Then behold the handmaid of the Lord, be it done unto me according to thy word. There's your prayer to know the word of God. How can you know the, I mean, how can you say, be it done unto me according to thy word, unless you know the word? You understand? I mean, that's why we have to love the word. Be it done unto me according to thy word. That's, that's really nice, but you better know the word. And then the word becomes flesh and dwells among us. That's how it works. Silence and prayer saying yes to the word, then the word becomes flesh and dwells among us by the power of the Holy Spirit, and good things happen. 